My name's David Ingle, and I'm a preacher, pastor, and filmmaker. And this is the first episode in a podcast version of my film series, Struggling with Judgment. You might ask though, why make a series on judgment at all? It's not exactly a popular subject. And in many ways, actually, that's the point. And to explain why, let me first think about worship. You see, I love worship, and I believe that our worship should be at the heart of our relationship with God. And in my worship, but more generally in our worship in our churches, well, we worship God for so many things, for his love, his power, his forgiveness, for what Jesus has done for us and lots more. But one thing we don't seem to worship God for is his judgment. In fact, it might strike you as odd even to mention that. Surely no one worships God for his judgment. But actually, that's a problem. We worship God because he's worthy of our worship. And we believe that he's good and perfect in every way, that there's nothing wrong or dark in him and that everything about him is worth worshipping. The problem is that the Bible has a lot to say about judgment, and particularly it tells us that God is a God who judges. I mean, Jesus told a parable about final judgment at the end of time in which he describes himself as a judge, separating righteous people from the rest, like a shepherd separating his sheep from goats. And he finishes with the words, then they, the goats, will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And for most of us, that's a pretty shocking, pretty difficult idea, that Jesus would talk of eternal punishment, would talk of himself as a judge. How do I reconcile that with everything else that I know about Jesus and his love, his compassion, his forgiveness? How could a God of love and grace also be a God of judgment? That question is really what this series is all about. I've called it struggling with judgment because I find this really hard. I struggle with it. And so this series isn't about waving my finger at you or telling you that you're rubbish or anything like that. It's about going on a journey together, struggling together, to find out how God, who we know is good and loving, could also be a God of judgment. And trying to find out how not only is that okay, but actually how God's judgment can be positive, part of his good, pleasing and perfect will. Something we might even get our guitars out and start worshipping him for. Now, I don't think I'm quite there yet, but I came across a psalm a couple of years ago that really encouraged me on this journey. And it's Psalm 98. Let me read the final few verses to you. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is one of the most joyful, exuberant, excited psalms in the whole book. Rivers clapping their hands, mountains singing for joy. I think it's quite a picture. And yet at the end of it all, 
The thing that the psalmist is worshipping God for is his judgment. When I first realised that, it was a bit of a shock. But it also really encouraged me. It encouraged me that it is possible to worship God for his judgment. And it hinted that maybe there was something I just wasn't getting, something I didn't understand, something that we might be missing here. And as I've dug around a bit into what the Bible has to say about judgment, I think that that is what I've discovered, that there's more here than I realised, that there is an answer to the question, why? Why does God judge? And it really starts with the word, judgment. In English, we tend to see judgment as a basically purely negative word. We think of punishment or vengeance or retribution. But in the Bible, judgment is much bigger than that and crucially much more positive than that. The Hebrew word for judgment is shafat and while punishment can be part of it it's primarily about something positive. Judgment it's about putting things right, restoring them to the way they should be. Judgment is about making the world a better place. It's maybe closer in some ways to the English word justice. One Hebrew dictionary sums it up like this. Shafat describes a range of actions that restore or preserve order in society so that justice, especially social justice, is guaranteed. It can be translated as rule, govern, deliver, rescue or judge. Well, as I read that, I immediately find myself thinking of another biblical theme that we tend to be a whole lot keener on, salvation. One book that can confuse people is the book of Judges. When we read it, lots of us wonder where all the judges went to. We assume that the title is all about judges in law courts, ruling on cases, handing down sentences and so on. But there don't seem to be many of them in the book at all. And instead, there's a parade of charismatic heroes, men like Gideon and women like Deborah, who God uses to rescue and deliver the people of Israel from oppression by their enemies. But that is what the Bible means by a judge. And the crazy and dramatic stories of how they rescue the Israelites from their enemies are all examples of what the Bible thinks of as judgment, putting things right, establishing justice, restoring life to the way it should be. All of which seems much better than we normally think of when we think of judgment. But there are still some snags, some difficulties. If you're an Old Testament Israelite, the book of judgment sorry, the book of Judges, is a great read. It's full of good news. It's about rescue and restoration, salvation and deliverance. But if you're an Ammonite, a Midianite or a Philistine, well, things are a whole lot less fun. In fact, it's a catalogue of defeat and disaster. And so while the Bible speaks of judgment and salvation together, and judgment always has a positive element, there is still the negative. With judgment does come punishment and pain. And so a lot of what we read about judgment in the Bible is extraordinarily difficult. The stories of the fall of Jerusalem and the exile in the Old Testament can be horrible to read. I find the depth and intensity of the suffering described in books like Lamentations or Ezekiel almost unbearably heartbreaking. Or if we turn to the other end of the Bible and read those words of Jesus I mentioned earlier about eternal punishment or some of the visions of judgment in Revelation, well, it's difficult not to find them hard. And yet I think that it is important to realise 
that these passages of judgment aren't about a God who wants to destroy us or smite us. In fact, they're actually quite the opposite. There's a beautiful verse in 2 Peter which describes how God does not want anyone to be destroyed but wants all to turn away from their sins. The destruction and suffering that are wound up with judgment are something that God longs to save us from. The Bible is full of moments in which God cries out to his people and pleads with us to repent and turn back to him so that we might live, so that we might not fall under his judgment. Joel raises the question, why then does God judge? Or perhaps more specifically, why does the Bible suggest that judgment and salvation are connected? Why can't we just have heaven without hell, love without punishment, salvation without judgment? Well, to answer that question, let me turn to another topic. Perhaps the topic that I've discovered as a pastor people struggle with most when it comes to matters of faith. And that is the topic of suffering. Why does God allow suffering? We look around at the world and we see so much suffering and heartache from the violence and horrors of war or famine that we see on our TV screens to the things that each of us struggle with from stress to broken relationships and ultimately death. As we think about these things, something deep within us cries out, why? It's as as though we know we were created for something better, that things shouldn't be like this. And then when we pick up the Bible, we find that that same longing for a world without pain and suffering is there as well. If you read Psalms or Lamentations, you find countless moments of darkness and struggle. And in the midst of them, people crying out to God, why? How long? Help me. Hear me. But alongside those pains and struggles, there's also a realisation that suffering doesn't just happen. Where does suffering come from? And tragically, the answer is us. At the root of so much of the pain and suffering of the world is us. The things that we do, our mistakes and our wrongs, what the Bible calls sin. Now, sometimes that can be direct and obvious, the suffering that comes out of violence or dishonesty. But more often it's indirect when we suffer because of what other people have done or because we live in a broken world in which injustice or accidents are just part of life. There may not be a specific link between my sins and my suffering, but on a bigger level, well, sin and suffering are bound up together because the sin is the root and cause of almost all our suffering and pain. So if God is going to stop suffering he also has to stop sin. And that brings us back to judgment. Because that is what judgment is all about. Judgment is the punishment and ending of sin. So we long for a world in which pain and suffering are no more. For the paradise that we read about in Revelation 21.4, in which there's no more death or mourning or crying or pain. But that is only possible if God judges and the pain and the problems of sin are dealt with first. I think that for many of us, that's a difficult message to hear, in part because we don't tend to think that our sin is that big a deal. 
So most people I know would be happy with the idea of Hitler or Stalin or Pol Pot facing judgment. In fact, many of us would demand it of God. But what we can't get our head around is that we might also deserve to be judged. And yet the Bible makes it very clear that we do. In Romans 3.10, for instance, we read, there is no one righteous, not even one. Much of the rest of this series will be wrestling with this central issue. Why does my sin matter so much? And we'll be looking at some of the images that the Bible uses to show us why sin is such a big deal. But I want to finish this film on a different note. Reflecting on that tension between suffering and judgment. Because through much of the Old Testament, there seems to be an awful choice. Would we have a world without judgment, in which case we must accept suffering? Or would we have a world without suffering, in which case we must face judgment? And yet as we turn to the New Testament, a third choice is made possible. The way of redemption. The way of forgiveness. The way of the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus takes on himself the judgment of the world. At the cross, Jesus takes on himself the judgment I deserve. At the cross, Jesus makes it possible for me to be both judged and forgiven. We'll look at the glories of the cross again later in this series and how that's all possible. But I wanted to finish this first session there because you cannot speak of what the Bible has to say about judgment without speaking of the cross. We often say that the cross is the ultimate expression of God's love, but it's also actually the ultimate expression of his judgment. We saw earlier that God's judgment is all about setting the world to rights, putting it back to the way it should be, about making the world a better place. In fact, about making the world the best possible place. But then we also saw how with that comes the pain and punishment of dealing with sin. Well, the wonderful news of the cross is that God offers us all the good stuff. Salvation, paradise, eternal life. But then he takes all the bad stuff on himself so that we don't have to. And that was the most amazing news in the world. Amen.